Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to talk a little bit about the topic, which is around mental health and suicide prevention. First and foremost, if you or anyone you know is having thoughts of suicide, struggling, or in a crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or contact the Crisis Text Line by texting TALK to 741741. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Maggie Mortali, Senior Director of the Interactive Screening Program for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. AFSP is the nation's largest nonprofit dedicated to saving lives and bringing hope to those affected by suicide. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is an episode that I've looked forward to recording and, and one that I, I've made a couple different promises in, in the past of wanting to make sure that this gets brought up because within veterinary medicine, there's a lot of conversation around the topics that we're going to chat on today. So really, really appreciative uh, of your time. Yeah, thank you. I know that you and the team at AFSP have done a lot of work in the areas of suicide, mental health, fighting stigmas, and edu- educating the public. Can you describe a little bit of your role and what you do? I know I gave the title, but like, what does that actually mean? Sure. Yeah. So I've actually been working for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention since 2011. And in my current role at AFSP, I really work directly with mental health services within institutions of higher education or organizations and workplaces to help them build out what we consider sort of comprehensive mental health awareness and suicide prevention programming. So that really looks like very different for a lot of different organizations, but primarily um, includes education and prevention programming that speaks to mental health and suicide prevention. It also includes what we call sort of loss and healing programs or postvention programs to support the aftermath of a suicide at within a setting and it also includes our interactive screening program which is an online program that is typically utilized by organizations or institutions and creates or provides them with a method to proactively engage individuals in an anonymous screening for stress, for depression, or other mental health concerns, and then in partnership with their own mental health services, this 
program allows the support for connecting with available mental health services. And so really my focus is to support any different you know, institution or organization as they build out suicide prevention programming and you know, mental health awareness for their students, for their faculty, for their staff, or for their employees. Perfect. Thanks for the the overview. And I know you've done some work in the, the veterinary medicine space and through a, an introduction of an introduction, like that's how we got connected. But can right. you share a little bit about that work? Sure. So um, really, I guess what brings me here today is that is is the work that AFSP is doing to support suicide prevention and also postvention efforts in the veterinary community. And this includes a guide that I worked on called After a Suicide, a Toolkit for Colleges of Veterinary Medicine. And this is something that AFSP, in partnership with the American Veterinary Medical Association and the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges built out to support colleges of veterinary medicine in the aftermath of a suicide. And we've been working with AVMA for over a year now to build out additional resources um, in addition to this postvention work, other prevention initiatives including our interactive screening program to support their membership community and veterinary professionals across the country. Yeah, it's a great tool and and guide that you guys have created. And I'll make sure that, again, all the resources that we're going to talk about, they're going to be linked in in the notes for today's podcast. Great. When we talk about about environment and and how important that is in mental health and well-being, can you talk a little bit about why that, that is the case and what can be done to improve the environment? Sure. So the environment is really important when it comes to overall mental health and well-being. And both organizations and institutions can really play a role in creating an environment that is really supportive of individuals' mental health and well-being overall experience. And so, for example, you know, promoting mental health as part of your overall organization or institution's wellness is really sort of critical to employee well-being. And I think we can learn a lot from the physical health community. You know, organizations and institutions really got on board with public health messages around, you know, tobacco cessation and their um, employees, right? You know, workplaces are now smoking-free zones. And and there's a lot of messaging around sort of the physical health of our employees, of our, of our student populations. And this really can be embedded or mirrored, I should say, with mental health promotion. And so it's really about you know, creating this culture where organizations and institutions are letting people know what support resources are available. And in addition, encouraging people to take advantage of that support. So it's not just about promoting mental health, which is very important, but it's also really about making that environment safe for individuals who are who are engaging in those services and and I think you know that can be done in a variety of different ways certainly prevention education programming is part of that but it also is important for 
organizations and institutions to look at their internal policies and procedures and how they promote overall health and wellness and to make sure that mental health is really embedded and integrated into that. And I think as we've you know, worked with organizations to create these cultural shifts, we've seen changes in their environment and where just really overall, it becomes a culture that values reaching out for help as a sign of strength and not weakness. And as that cultural shift changes, the environment changes and more and more people start reaching out for help and getting the help and support that they need, where that becomes then the majority and less of which gets into, you know, kind of mitigating those barriers to what we call help seeking, which is really, you know, what prevents people from reaching out for, for help or engaging in help services because now they have this this environment that's really supportive of that. You talked about, you know, it's one thing to promote. It's another to have like engagement and actually see the success of that work being done. And then, you know, creating the culture for having people know that not only is this okay, but it's, it's desired. Like people want you to reach out when you need help and that help seeking. Why do veterinarians and even their peers on the human health side from a, a medical doctor perspective, why do they struggle so much to reach out in other studies or research? I know that there's some of that stuff done. Can you speak to maybe why there isn't that innate sense to to go out and say, hey, I'm really struggling. Can you come help? Or I need this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a it's a, such a an interesting question and and really has been the the focus of of my work at the foundation and really trying to get this understanding of you know not just sort of what are the barriers to care but but how do, can we mitigate those barriers and and I think a lot of the research has focused on both you know the individual barriers to care but also the institutional barriers that have are are really part of the culture and and studies have shown that there are really a a lot of you know factors that are are really at play and contributing to why help is you know not sought out for um, veterinarians and you know and really just other health professionals more broadly. And so some of this can be, or some of this is specific to the job itself, right? So long hours, a heavy workload. That's really what we we talk about, like just time as a barrier. We certainly know that, you know, access to care and particularly, you know, quality mental health care, usually in more rural communities can be a factor. But again, just looking at the environment itself and the and how that kind of plays out with the individual, research is also showing that that sort of culture in medicine, this more really stoic culture, if you will, that is is kind of promotes, you know, self-sufficiency and that sort of paired with or alongside perceived, you know, barriers, whether or real barriers can prevent people from reaching out for help. And, 
And a lot of times, you know, that that culture of of sort of self-sufficiency can also create a culture of fear. And so what ends up happening is the individual, particularly an individual who's struggling, may have a lot of fear that's surrounding their ability to reach out for help. And, And some of that fear is you know, real, they've seen, you know, punitive sort of consequences or sanctions with their colleagues who've reached out for help or, or, you know, their own fear of, you know, being overlooked for promotion or any type of career advancement that could result just of acknowledging their own mental health struggles. And I also think like that healthcare professionals often sort of cloak or hide their own experiences of anxiety or worry, or can sometimes even start to almost rationalize those feelings as almost part of, or that that distress is sort of part of their identity as a healthcare professional. And this can, this is certainly true for veterinarians. And so, you know, we often look at the sort of quote helpers in our community as the the way in which they kind of perceive asking for help for just themselves, right? Where they are often see, see seeking help as a way of almost drawing attention to themselves. And sometimes that can correlate with sort of self-perceived weakness, even though any helper would tell you, you know, it's so important to reach out to get help if you're struggling. But for the helper themselves, this this can often be perceived as a, a sign of weakness only for themselves. And that paired with this sort of more stoic culture, a culture that views you know, mental health or struggling or reaching out for help as a sign of weakness can all contribute quite impactfully with and, and prevent uh, individuals from, from reaching out for help. And I, you know, and, and beyond that, I think the, that, and, and paired with the time constraints, this even uncertainty about sort of whether treatment will help and then, um, you know, paired with concerns about confidentiality, you know, all of that um, plays a, a role in in really preventing those in need from reaching out for help. And I think sometimes, and you touched on it a lot, there there seems to be the, the character traits of their service and, you know, it's part of the job, but also thinking about it personally, that it's a weakness, but if they saw in others the vast majority seem to really encourage it within the community that they want, you know, their peers to go seek and and find help. But if it was their own issue, then it's something that, you know, they're either not willing to talk about or maybe feel ashamed, or I'm not sure the right, you know, term to put on it, but, you know, they all understand it's an issue and they would want others to go and seek help. But when it comes to themselves, then it's like, oh, this is different when Mm -hmm. it's really not. Exactly. And I think also, you know, for someone that is struggling with a mental health condition, you know, reach the the sort of aspect of having a mental health condition also can can be a barrier, right? So if someone is struggling with depression or anxiety, they often have feelings of 
hopelessness or worthlessness. And so that in itself can make it difficult to reach out, right? If you're feeling hopeless or a sense of worthlessness, you know, that often is, you know, prevents people from reaching out. So when there's, you know, that again, paired with stigma and culture or, you know, not even lack of information, right? Not knowing where to reach out or who to go to, all of that can, is even more escalated or more makes it reaching out more difficult because they're also struggling, right? With, with their mental health. Yeah. And you touched on the barriers to care, which was one of the the things I want to talk about. So I'm just going to kind of jump past that question for right now, because, you know, you talked about it, whether it's rule, long hours, all these, you know, different things that can come up and, and be that challenge to care. When you think about when crisis strikes, what's the goal of the, the kind of the crisis response? And then how can someone be supported and how can the community support itself to best move forward when something does happen? Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is a, a great question and really sort of what part of what prompted you know, AFSP to collaborate with these different agencies and create the toolkit for, for uh, postvention for colleges of veterinary medicine. And really when we look at you know, the aftermath or really the immediate aftermath of a suicide death, the goal of any crisis response is really in the sort of acute stages is really focused on containing the crisis, right? So this includes certainly the inclusion of a a crisis response team, uh, individuals who can really kind of come together and make sure, number one, that they they are getting the facts, right? That they are obtaining information that is accurate and that is used in a way that is helps to alleviate any like speculation or rumors that can, you know, in the particularly in the aftermath of a suicide death, can fuel emotional sort of turmoil within the, you know, institution or the organization. And so it's really about getting that team together, responding to that crisis. Sometimes this involves, you know, notifying individuals within the the institution itself. This could be like colleagues of the person who died by suicide or uh, fellow uh, residents or students, but, but also at the same time, you know, protecting the privacy of the, the person who died as well as their family members. And sort of lastly, but very importantly, is that the the goal in all of this, particularly in how information is communicated, is that a crisis response always wants to make sure that they are reducing the potential for any contagion um, or secondary trauma, and that they really are providing opportunity for the community to grieve and also feel supported. And so that's really that immediate part, that immediate aftermath of the suicide death, where it's really, again, about that sort of critical crisis response. And then, and then with moving forward, it's really important to sort of 
what we call, you know, postvention transition to suicide prevention. And that's where the community can really look to raise awareness of their own kind of mental health needs. And so these efforts you know, may include mental health and suicide programs, suicide prevention programs that are really focused on educating you know, individuals at at sort of all levels of the community. They can be more focused programs that educate, you know, students or faculty and staff about, you know, mental health and suicide risk among uh, veterinary professionals. And then, you know, we've seen groups um, kind of transition that internal education and support to, you know, kind of collective action, right, to address the kind of more global problem of suicide. And that can be things like, you know, participating as a team in an awareness or you know, fundraising event to support you know, national suicide prevention organizations or, you know, local community mental health centers. So we've seen sort of how postvention can transition into, you know, suicide prevention, not just for the for that that kind of close community that was impacted directly by the suicide death, but also um, more broadly to that larger community where that, you know, that that individual death occurred. And really this, you know, that the toolkit is is focused on sort of providing, you know, not just this overview of the crisis response plan, but also, you know, how to support the community and then those individuals as they really, you know, cope and heal and move forward. You touched on secondary trauma. Can you explain what it is, why it matters? Yeah, absolutely. So in in the suicide prevention kind of world, um, this is often referred to as contagion. And and really in the immediate aftermath of a suicide death, it's important to ensure and and part of the kind of responsibility of a crisis response team is to ensure that uh, suicide contagion risk is minimized. And risk for contagion, particularly in small or tight-knit communities, can be heightened among individuals who are sort of already vulnerable and then are exposed to sensationalized communication about the suicide or the decedent's kind of manner of death or life is portrayed in idealized manner, sensationalized way. And so the, the goal and, and sort of how suicide contagion and, and risk for suicide contagion is, is mitigated is really by helping those vulnerable individuals who, again, may be in an emotional or suicidal crisis of their own or as a result of the death, you know, with the death of this other individual whom they identify is really about avoiding additional suicidal behavior and deaths. So it's really about looking at the, the communication about the suicide death and how this person is sort of portrayed in connection with their death 
and making sure that it is you know, not sensationalized or memorialized in a way that will put individuals who are already at risk at a heightened or increased risk as a result of this communication. So as someone that is not a you know mental health expert or spends their time and energy in this space like most veterinarians as well or or, or practice managers or, or anyone in really the veterinary medicine industry would find themselves you know what would be advice or guidance or thoughts around how to build a better environment for their entire team or you know make the culture more accept like how do you are there any ways to to start to build that more or, or explain that you actually do truly care about this. And this is not something that's, you know, going to be brought up once a year, that this is something we're going to do. And then it, you know, kind of fades off or people know it's not genuine. How could someone in a smaller private practice or even a smaller corporate entity make these kind of changes and try to help their team be better and improve the mental health of, of everyone they work with? Sure. I think it's so important too, because, you know, it really is about, you know, even just small cultural shifts to, again, kind of make the environment a safe place for people who are struggling and recognizing that that, you know, it may not happen on a sort of continuum, but that if the information about mental health and um, how to kind of support your mental health journey paired with resources and services that are available and can support people, you know, when they're struggling, as those are kind of embedded in the, the communication that goes out about overall health and wellness, I think we start to see that when someone is struggling, they are reminded that there are kind of resources and services that are available to support them. But I think in addition to that, it's just really about kind of using the the workplace, whether it's a small practice or a large hospital, as you know, they are really learning environments, right? Where where individuals are, you know, supported in that of learning journey and our mental health, our well-being is really part of that. And so it's it's really doesn't need to be these, you know, huge changes to to change the culture. It, it some of it can be really just in in small changes to the messaging that goes out, creating a, you know, platform where there's resources and information shared about mental health and well-being, about suicide prevention. I know, you know, groups like AVMA have developed resources to support veterinary well-being that, you know, are free and available to people. AFSP has developed a web page that is dedicated to veterinary professionals and other healthcare professionals really to provide, you know, information about, you know, the about resources, you know, publications that have gone out, but also, you know, free programs and toolkits that can support these organizations as they work to build out mental health and suicide prevention programming. And the addition, the other thing I'll add is that, you know, I think 
because of the complexities around, you know, suicide exist that some organizations or institutions may feel like, you know, this is such a big issue. Where do I, you know, start? And I think the thing we want to you know, make sure everyone understands is that you know, suicide is preventable. And there are, you know, just taking like small steps, again, changes in communication, putting out educational messages and resources, all of that helps to change the, the culture and the environment, and which, you know, which improves and, and impacts uh, individuals, you know, mental health and well-being and contributes to and is part of really suicide prevention. Thank you. That was super helpful. And I know there's a lot there to, to unpack, but um, it's a great starting point because you you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it does seem, you know, overwhelming at times knowing that it's a big issue. Where do I start? How do I even, you know, kind of try to get my arms around that? But you shared some really good resources. And again, want to make sure that people know where to find these. And we will link to, to all the different things that, that Maggie's talked about to make sure that you have somewhere that you can start and start looking through that information and see what fits best for, for you and your organization. Anything else that is on your mind that you feel like is really important around mental health that maybe you haven't asked or we haven't really dug into that aspect of your world? Yeah, I mean, I think I touched on it briefly, just that this idea, you know, that sort of suicide prevention is possible. And um, I think that's just such a key takeaway that in, you know, everyone I talk to, I, I want to make sure that they understand that this is a movement that, you know, your people, your listeners can get involved in, um, involved with our, our mission and our organization and, and the, really the work that we're doing because it's, um, it's a nationwide effort. Much of our work is happening and local communities across the country. And so, you know, I know, I know you're going to be providing links, but, you know, anyone who's interested in, in getting involved or learning more about the work that we're doing to support communities across the country and particularly veterinarian suicide prevention efforts, and anyone can get involved by going to AFSP.org. I appreciate that, Maggie. And one of the things I usually close with is kind of where people could find resources. And I think, you know, instead of rehashing that, that is a, a great place to start. So again, resources will be linked, but if you're looking to get involved, I think that's a great place to start. The show is all around success. And I usually ask, you know, an ending question that, you know, what does success look like personally and professionally? Instead of doing that, what does success look like in five years in suicide prevention and mental health awareness? Yeah, I think this is such a um, an interesting question and, and actually aligns with the goal and, and the mission of, of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and um, particularly with what we call Project 2025, which is a bold, bold goal that we set out to reduce the suicide rate uh, in our country 20% by the year 2025. So success in five years for, for suicide prevention, for mental health awareness, for our country, looks like a reduction in our country's suicide rate by 20%. And, and that's really the goal that we're striving for and, and really you know, where we, we view success for our mission. Well, Maggie, that 
is an awesome goal. Um, love the fact that, you know, it's, it's tied in with something that's extremely measurable from, from that standpoint. We've talked about that on various other podcasts. You know, it's great to set goals like, Hey, we want to reduce something, but trying to tie that to actually, how can you measure that and, and get there? And I'm sure you and the team have a lot of different, you know, kind of sub initiatives to get there, but thank you so much for, for coming on, sharing the information, spending time with me and hopefully, you know, giving listeners and, and veterinarians out there more resources and things to think about from the idea around how important mental health is that they don't have to, you know, think that they shouldn't go get help, that they need to, you know, feel like they're alone or there's not ways to to go out and, and feel like this is preventable and they can get help. So what you're doing is fantastic. I'm really, really appreciative of it. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com, scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.